You know, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter number one, if you will, and we'll be there in just a few moments. You know, as we think about the Bible, and I mentioned this recently in one of my messages, the Bible has some big words that uh, I just call them the Bible's big words like sanctification, uh, justification, uh, glorification. Uh, on Monday, Thursday, one of the Bible's big words that we looked at was propitiation, which means satisfies, that you know, the, the blood of Jesus uh, satisfied the anger and wrath of God's what that's talking about. Now, I want to encourage you, first of all, don't be intimidated by uh, Bible big words. Uh, we have a big God. He is a big God, and he does big things, and sometimes it just takes a big word to explain those things. Now, the same can be said of like phrases in the Bible whether it be a, a one word or whether it be several words turning into a phrase. Uh, for example, like, you know, we talk about, we mentioned the word rapture. We talk, that, that's, of course, talking about the rapture of the church. And, and that word is a uh, period of great tribulation. John taught about that in the book of Revelation. And when you hear that, you kind of have an idea, you know, go, you go through, you, you picture what that little phrase kind of means. Now, tonight... I thought about what will we do on Wednesday night after Easter. I thought about, well, we'll look at another one of these phrases that, uh, uh, that teaches us some great things, and that's like the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Well, that's talking about the period of time, 40 days. We're going to read this in the Bible in just a moment. When Jesus was, came out of the tomb... Until he ascended back into heaven, he remained on the earth for 40 days. And that is referred to as the post-resurrection appearance and appearances of Jesus. What he would do, he would just, at various times, in various ways, he would just show up. And in so doing, he was helping the disciples better uh, have confidence in the truth of the resurrection, knowing that he was about to go back to heaven and he was going to be leaving the work that he had led in to his disciples, his followers, and his church, as you get over in Acts chapter number two. So now in your bulletin, I thought you might be interested. I didn't know if you look at your little outline. Uh, I I've given you uh, where this scripture is covered in the Bible. You talk about where do you read about what happened during these 40 days that Jesus remained on this earth? Well, you read about it first of all in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you'll stop and think a moment, you, you would know it would be at the end of each one of those gospels because as you read those gospels, you come up to the very end, almost the very end of each one of them is the resurrection of Jesus. So what's left over would be the post-resurrection. So it'd be Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, uh, Luke chapter 24. And then in the gospel of John, actually chapters 20 and 21 have scripture about these uh, times where Jesus showed up, he revealed himself to people, he did certain things. All of that is talking about the post-resurrection uh, appearances of Jesus. And then, of course, over in 1 Corinthians, in chapter number 15, uh, the Apostle Paul 
uh, gives us some scripture, and I've listed that for you uh, in the bulletin, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, you would read. So if you know those scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you say, I want to read about what Jesus did during those four days, well, you won't have to read a lot of Bible, but you'll find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I thought, well, maybe they'd be interested in that, and maybe they would not, but I'm, I'm going to list it out anyway. Now, I thought we would tonight take the book of Acts. Let's look in the book of Acts. If you'll turn with me in Acts chapter number one, and let's read. Remember, uh, Dr. Luke, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the gospel named after him, and then he wrote this book that we have that we call Acts. And, uh, you know, I've said on other occasions that a really better, a more complete title for the book of Acts would be Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and others during the first generation of the Christian church. So when we come to the book of Acts, Christ is about to go back to heaven and he is now going to send the Holy Spirit that's going to be the birth of the church. And the church age begins, the church age continues, and that's the age in which you and I live. And so what you have in this book of Acts, you really have the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he worked through the apostles and worked through others. And you begin to think about how that can be appropriated to your life and my life, and it's very, very exciting. Well, let's look in Acts chapter 3 and um, Acts chapter 1. We'll just pick up maybe in verse 1 to kind of get it all in context. It says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. And of course, the word Theophilus is, is, is a word used really it's like a title for a, for a, a government dignitary, perhaps someone like in a position of a governor. So he's, he's referring to that person in that position when he says that. All that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. Now, if you're a Bible underliner, you might want to underline that. Here is a place in Scripture that tells us that Jesus remained on earth 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension. What did he do? He was speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, with the disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, said, don't dare leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you have heard from me before. Now picture this. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And what does he do? He reminds them of something that he had previously taught them on various occasions. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Let me read on. He said, don't depart from Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from before. He had already told them. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, 
I, before we get into the practical part of this, let's just do a little Bible study part of this, which I think will be very, very helpful. If you go back in verse 4, it's very interesting to me. Now picture this. Jesus lived in the last 40 days. He's going to remain on the earth. Talk his disciples. He tells them something that on other occasions he had already told them, knowing that they evidently had either forgotten it or they were not convinced it was true. And we see this in the scriptures. Now, put something where you are, but go back in the gospel of Luke. I want to show you in the Bible these times where the Lord Jesus had already told them about this promise. In Luke chapter 24, we'll wait a moment for you to find that, and look in verse 49. Jesus had previously said, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now, they didn't quite understand that. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, but nonetheless, he's telling them. Now, if you'll go back where you were in the book of Acts, you'll write before that, you'll be, this is the gospel of John. So look in John chapter 14. I want to show you these other uh, scriptures, reference of where Jesus had, had told them previously about the promise that God the Father had made of the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you look in John chapter 14 and verse 16, um, Jesus said, and I pray the Father and he, talking about Father God, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Then if you look down in verse 26, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. If you look in chapter 50 and look down in verse 26, Jesus said, when the, but when the helper comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And then look in chapter 16, in verse number 7. Chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage I go away, for I don't go away. The helper, that's the paracletos, the Holy Spirit. He will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And then if you look down in verse 13, one other place to look. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. So I, I show you these simply to say that on several occasions, Jesus had said to his disciples, now when I leave, God the Father is going to, he's, going to, he's making a promise. He's going to send a helper. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to do the work that I am leaving for you to do. It applied to them, and it applies to us. And we'll deal with that as we go along. Now, here is the question to me. And I hope you've thought about it previously. Why did Jesus wait 40 days to ascend back to the Father? I mean, on the cross, he said, it is finished. He shed his blood, unblemished, spotless. Only his blood would have been that way. He was put in the tomb. Three days later, God raised him. Why didn't he just come out of the empty tomb? and ascend back into heaven. Why? He had been with the disciples for three years. He had taught them all the things, all he's doing in these 40 days. 
well, he's having, he's, he's having some miraculous things take place, but he's really just reminding them of the things he's already taught them. Well, if you take your bulletin, uh, maybe here's a place we might want to fill in a little thing or two because there is an answer. I believe that is correct, and here's, here's, what, here's the way I've said it. Because the apostles need to be convinced before they could undertake the humanly impossible task of convincing a Christ-rejecting world of the truth of the gospel. That's a long, that's a long sentence, but, but I wish you'd fill in the blanks. Let me, if you missed it, it's, it's, it's on the screen and you can get it. The apostles need to be convinced. See, they, they, first of all, they didn't understand what he was talking about, about being raised from the dead. And even when that happened, they, they still had doubts and they weren't 100% thoroughly convinced. And so what did he do? He, he had this 40-day period. So they would be what? So they would be convinced before they could undertake the humanly impossible task of convincing a Christ-rejecting world of the truth of the gospel. Now, that's what I think to be the main reason Jesus remained for 40 days. You know, as I look at that little sentence, thinking about how true it is, <laughs> the, the Christ-rejecting world crucified. Well, fast forward. We're in 2022. People, sad to say, but bottom line, we live in a Christ-rejecting world. We really do. Now, on the surface, I mean, here we are. We all believe in Christ. <laughs> but I mean, look, here we are. And I mean, even on Easter Sunday, the all great crowds, you say, well, you know, boy, we're living in, things are turning around. Well, no, no, things aren't turning around. We live in a fallen world, and it just continues to fall and fall. And this, it's just like Christ has been rejected little by little. Evidently, none of us would have ever imagined when we begin to see it start, just God can't be in this. The Bible can't be in this. You know, you, 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 you mention the name of Jesus and people in many settings, they, they tense up, you know, on numerous occasions as a minister, I've been invited to pray at certain events. And right before the program would start, the person in charge would say to me, now there are many faiths and many non-faiths in this room. And it would be best you not mention the name Jesus in your prayer. And I just, you know, I, I hear that. But they knew I was a Christian minister when they invited me. And I'm going to pray my prayer like I believe in my heart, knowing I probably will never be invited back again, and knowing I probably shouldn't have been invited in the first place. But I don't think the people who've said that to me over the years are rude people. I, I, I think of, a, of a, actually a funeral I went to preach of one of the most uh, godly men that Dottie and I ever knew. Uh, they had such an influence on our life in our very first church before we went to seminary. And they asked me when he died to come preach a funeral. It was in a Methodist church. And, and I was well aware that there'd just be many people who didn't believe anything about God at that funeral. And I'll never forget the person that was over that institution or in charge of kind of arranging for that service. I was sitting in a room with the pastor, the Methodist pastor of that church before it started. And that person came in and said, Dr. Evan, now you do understand most of the people who will be coming today are not believers, they're not Christians, and we would appreciate you not saying anything. It would be offensive. 
and I traveled all the way to Savannah, Georgia to preach a funeral. But when that person left the room, I'll never forget, the Methodist pastor said to me, he said, brother, I don't know what you know about the Methodist church, but in the Methodist church, the pastor is in charge of the pulpit. I am the pastor. That person is not in charge of my pulpit. And you just go out there and be who you are and say what you feel like you need said and disregard what they say. And I thought, my gracious. And then I learned later that Methodist pastor had gone to a Baptist seminary years previously. He should have been a Baptist. So I was blessed to be there. But I say this with a broken heart, really. Um, it, it's just, we just have to understand that we live in a day and time where it's almost like not just people say, well, I don't choose to do that. It's like, it's like Christianity has become their enemy and everything. See, the devil is, is behind all of that. And it, it, you know, it, it goes through the academic circles. It just goes in so many places. Well, you know, I, you say, well, what does all that have to do with us? Well, wait, of course, what Jesus did to help convince the disciples uh, he, he did several things. I jotted down two or three. For example, during this four-day period, one time Jesus just entered a locked room. You want to read that in the Bible. It's in John chapter 20, verse 19. The disciples in a room said the doors were locked, and somehow Jesus just appears. You know, his resurrected body was different in some ways than his body before the resurrection. Like, he, he, he just, he, he's not in the room. The doors are locked. The next thing you know, he's in the room. He showed them his wounds. He was trying to help them see, look, this, this thing about my death, burial, and resurrection is true. Here I am. And that, that was another thing he did. Uh, he ate and drank with the disciples. Now, as I think about the Bible study part, I think about, well, how, how does all this, you know, how can this help us? Like during this 40 days, it's interesting to read these things, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1 Corinthians. But like, how can I plug this in and be benefit in my own life and your own life today? And so I wish you'd take your little program and let's just, let's just plug in a little thing or two that will help us. First of all, and, and see, to help the disciples be convinced, they needed a 40-day contact with Jesus. And that's why I entitled the little Bible study tonight, A 40-Day Period of Post-Resurrection Contact with Jesus. You say, well, that's, that is what happened, but what's that have to do with us? Well, here's what it has to do with us. We need daily contact with Jesus to be effective witnesses in our day. Could I have an amen to that? And I'm saying this to you. If you become lax in your daily contact with Jesus, you will not be an effective witness in the Christ-rejecting world in which we live. You just won't have in you what you need to be and do what you need to do. And it, it's just, it's a matter of self-discipline. This, this whole idea of daily contact with Jesus. And, and I, I'm sure that some tire of hearing our encouragement about having a quiet time, reading your Bible every day, having a time to pray. And, you know, but the fact of the matter is, it's essential. It's essential. And when you don't do it, you, you, can, you can tell the difference. Now, I've, I've experienced that recently. D during, during the first couple of weeks especially, 
of my knee replacement surgery. Um, I just got really behind in my Bible reading. Um, I was in such pain. I mean, I could read, I could read, <laughs> I could read a verse, but I couldn't even think what I read. Does that make any sense to you? So I'm not, I'm, I'm not beating myself up. I'm just saying things happen in life that keep us from being as consistent and as disciplined as we need to be to have daily contact with Jesus. And whether it be surgery or, you know, maybe, maybe you have a crisis in your life or a crisis in your family. Or, I mean, there are just going to be things that get us off of our daily routine. Could I have an amen with that? It is. It's true. Now, these things, they happen, but we have to get back on our daily routine. If we're not careful, what might be two or three days, what might be a week, if we're not careful. You know, we're habit creatures. We really are. Human beings are habit creatures. Like, we, we have a habit. You know, do I put my trousers on first or do I put my shirt on first? Do I put my left shoe on first or my right shoe? Well, I don't know, nor is it important. But I'll say this to you. Every one of you... You, you, you're habit creatures. You either put one shoe on first or the other second, and you've been doing that forever, and you'll do it forever. That's just the habit you've developed. Well, we have these spiritual habits where we have daily contact. And, of course, coming to church is one of the good ones. But, my gracious, if a person, like, shows up at Easter Sunday, and then they say, okay, I'm going to come to church that Sunday after Easter. And, and I'll bring my Bible and sing and listen to the sermon, etc. Well, but like they, they've had Monday through Saturday with no really time with God, no Bible reading, no prayer. So I just encourage you. I'm probably talking to the wrong people. No doubt most of you are, are, are well disciplined at this point. But I, no matter how well disciplined you are, be on guard because you can become lax, not only in, in Bible reading and prayer and People become lax in, in, in many things in their spiritual disciplines, and it's just an everyday discipline that pays off great, great dividends. Now, let's move on. Let's move on beyond that. Our second thing of life application is our job as Christians is to let the Holy Spirit convict people through us. And I do wish you'd write those words down. Convict people. I, you're a Christian. Okay. The disciples were believers. They were Christians. The job Jesus gave them is the job Jesus gives, gave his church. We are part of his church. We're part of the body of Christ. So what is our job? Our job is what? Our job is to let the Holy Spirit convict, convict people through us. Now, I wish you'd go back. You're, in, you're, you're close to the book of John. Go back, if you will, in, in John chapter 16. Turn back to John chapter 16. This is very, very important. I've mentioned this on other occasions, but it needs to be, it needs to be mentioned often. Here's what we must understand. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. It is not your job. It's not my job. So you're the preacher. I understand. But I do not have the power, nor am I given the assignment to convict people of their sin. Look in John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin. 
So this, when we start thinking about sharing our faith with someone, we should never feel the pressure that we've got to do and share what we do and share. And the pressure's on us for a decision to be made. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it is our job to let the Holy Spirit convict people through us. And the way the Holy Spirit convicts the unsaved is through those who are saved. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you know, as you read the book of Acts, it's very interesting. Now remember in the book of Acts, in fact, when you get to verse 9, chapter 1, when Jesus spoke in these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. <laughs> You'd think the Bible would have more to say about the ascension of Jesus in one verse, but there it is. I mean, this is incredible. Think about it. Jesus just ascends back to the Father in heaven. And soon he would send his spirit, God the Father would, and there would be the birth of the church. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, this is so very important. How does God convict the unsaved? He convicts the unsaved through the saved, through you and through me. And as you read through the book of Acts, all the way through the book, people are convicted of their sins, and there's always a person God uses to do it. It's a really exciting thing as you read through the book of Acts. You know, like the, the, the 3,000 that were saved at Pentecost. Well, Peter. God used Peter. And through Peter and what he preached, that great number of people, they were saved. And like the, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was the person the Holy Spirit used? Philip. See, this is the point. How does God convict the unsaved? He convicts the unsaved. His Spirit does through the saved. He convicts the unsaved through you. He convicts the unsaved through me. And so our job is to let the Holy Spirit in us, through us, convict those that are not saved. But it's Him that does it. You know, as you read on through, like, like you think about Saul. Who, who was involved in that? Well, a man named Ananias. Uh, you think about Lydia. Well, who was involved in that? Well, uh, God, God, in a very special way, had a one person. And you think about uh, the Philippian jailer. And that story about how he came to be saved. Again, God used one person. And so I'm very encouraged at this very point. And this is why I share this with you. The, the exciting thing would be if we as believers would understand that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and all of us want to see people saved, I mean, John mentioned uh, the number that we counted. I heard him give three numbers a while ago. I'm very, I've got to talk to him after the service and find out. Uh, Chris and I, I, we came up with 47 people. Whether it was 45, 6, 7, but I mean, it was just incredible. 27 in that second service, people standing up. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But, you know, all of us, you know, we want to see people saved. Sure, we do. You want all your family members to be saved. You want your friends to be saved. You want your, uh, your neighbors to be saved. I mean, anybody that's a Christian wants people when they die to go to heaven. That's a given. Well, the exciting thing is we can be part in that. Now, our part is to have daily 
contact and connection with Jesus so we'll be spiritually prepared to be sensitive for the opportunities, knowing, though, that it's the Holy Spirit in us that's going to bring that all to fruition, and it's a very exciting thing. Now, you know, one of the challenges of our church, and on the first Sunday in May, I believe that's May 1st, but I could be wrong on that. I think May 1st comes on Sunday, but whenever. The first Sunday of May, I'm preaching a sermon. I've not yet entitled it, but God's put on my heart to preach a sermon about where I see we are as a church as we're somewhat coming out of the worst part of COVID. Now, COVID's not gone. Uh, I mean, we'll probably be dealing with COVID for much longer than we think, but it will be different than it was two years ago. It'll be very, very different. And uh, there'll finally be a point where hopefully that COVID will be like, well, like, like a cold. People won't be as sick as, as we've seen and many won't die as have and are. But the fact is we are certainly two years down the road and we're in much better shape now than we were two years ago. And we're seeing, we're seeing people come back that have been out for a good while. And uh, it, it's very, very encouraging. But, you know, as we've journeyed through this COVID, We've learned a lot of things, and we've learned things we can do better. We've learned things that we spent a lot of time doing that didn't make any difference, and there were better ways to do them that would make a lot more difference. So we, and we're still learning. We're not that, but we, COVID has been a, a painful teacher, and I think businesses have had to do that. I think businesses that did not adjust during COVID, many of them are out of business. And others are still in bad shape. But there are other businesses that have actually prospered during COVID. Uh, and others have kind of held their own. But be that as it may, and the church part. I, I, God's put on my heart because I think that we're on the brink of, of, of seeing things happen that, that are just going to be the uh, culmination of having stayed faithful and having done some right things. You know, it's interesting during COVID. During COVID, we hired a senior high minister. Like he, we agreed that we believed God was bringing uh, him to be our senior high minister in January upon his graduation from seminary in May. But then he comes in May when he graduates, and, and then very quickly the church is closed for 19 Sundays. But it was, you know, we said, well, we made a commitment and we, we need to honor our commitment and we needed him even more so. Uh, then we started the contemporary service during COVID. And then here in December, we add the staff member of our young adults, which is one of the great needs of the life of our church. And we've, we've done all that during COVID. So we've really done some right things uh, in COVID along with a lot of other things, but I think it's going to be exciting. I think last Sunday was a glimpse of, of where we can be, but, but one of our challenges is to help all of our members be convinced of the truth of the gospel and have confidence in sharing the gospel across the street and across the world. And so, you know, we say, well, we, we have classes to do that, and we're working out. How can we do that? How can we do what Jesus was seeking to do for the disciples so that our members, when they're around their friends, around family members, and they're staying daily connected with God, 
just be at peace in sharing the gospel story in the way that would be appropriate so the Holy Spirit through them could help others. If, if every one of our members, you say, well, that's like saying if every member tithe. Well, every member should tithe. You say, well, every member's not going to tithe. Well, that's not, that, 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 is, that is a true statement. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't still say every member ought to tithe. You know, I mean, we don't need to lower our standards to people who won't do what the Bible teaches. Well, the Bible teaches that our main job is the same job Jesus gave the disciples. And, you know, I, I'm very excited about what I think God will let me share on that Sunday. You know, last Sunday, for example, we have counters, so we kind of have kept up during COVID where we we're going. We had in this room last Sunday exactly 2,750 people in both services. That was a total number in this room. Now, remember, while we're in this room, you've got all these children that are off in their rooms having their worship experiences. So right here last Sunday, we had easily over 3,000 people together. You say, well, it was Easter. Well, I know it was Easter. I'm just telling you what we had. But it can be. Now, John shared this vision about 15,000, like 10% of our population of the city in which we live, Pasadena. So our goal out there is to get to a point that on a weekend, it won't be in one service, obviously, but on a weekend, we could have gathered here to hear the Word of God, to worship God, 15,000 people. You say, well, boy, that's a, we're a long way from there. Well, <laughs> you know, last Sunday we had over 3,000. And, you know, the truth is about all we ask people to do every Sunday is come back the next Sunday. I mean, during COVID, that's about all you could do. So, okay, folks, hope you can come back next Sunday. Folks, we need to be doing something between next Sunday. All of us, and if we can ever kind of move, will everybody do it? Well, no, but great numbers will do it. And, you know, cream always rises to the top, and it can be a, a wonderful thing. You know, during COVID, the last two years during COVID, there have been 559 people have joined our church. Two years of COVID. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the people that stand up. These people are standing up for salvation. I'm talking about that leave this room and go down to the family room and talk to ministers. There have been 559 people. And remember, during those two years, <laughs> we had 19 Sundays, we had no church. So I'm saying to you that God's been doing things a little more than maybe what we might understand. And I think we're on the brink of one of the most exciting times that we've had together in the life of our church. And I hope you are beginning to feel that because there is a great world out there that we live among that need the Lord. And many of them need to be saved. Many of them to be in God's house. Many of them to hear God's word. Many of them to be serving God. There's more to church than just showing up. You know, people need to serve the Lord. Everybody needs to have something they can do for God. And the church needs to be a place to help them to do it. And for all that to happen, we need the same thing the disciples needed. We need to have daily contact with Jesus until we become convinced that he's real, 
that his promises are as certain as certain can be. And that if we'll just put our faith in them, the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do.